Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. Here's what I would say as I started our time today. Life as we know it is a series of decisions and choices. Every decision, every choice that we make not only has impact on our life, but it has the possibility of impacting many other lives. We're all here today and we've made choices and decisions over the years. Choices and decisions in regards to who's going to be my friends, who am I going to hang out with. Choices and decisions possibly of where are we going to send our kids to school, what kind of school are they going to be a part of, where am I going to go to school. We've all had to war through it. Where am I going to go to church if I am going to go to church? And if I'm going to go to church there, why would I go to that church? We've all made choices and decisions when it comes to the kind of work that we're going to involve ourselves in. Or who am I going to marry? That would be a critical decision to make in life. That's a huge choice, right, Luke? I mean, who, who, who am I going to marry? And then once you marry and start having kids, it's like, how, how do I parent now? What kind of choices and decisions are going to be glorifying to God? What do I need to do there? And then we look at financial decisions. And every one of us sit here today saying, yeah, choices and decisions really matter. Because the decisions that we make today will impact our tomorrow. All of us are going to make choices and decisions. We've already made a ton of them. So we have to ask the question, how do we choose wisely? Is there anything that we can extract from the life of Master Jesus? What, what would be a wise rhythm to understand from Jesus' life that maybe could be incorporated into my life as a rhythm and practice and discipline that would allow me to glorify him more? In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is about to make a decision that will influence and impact the direction of human history. Most of us have never made a decision or choice that's going to impact the direction of human history, but Jesus is about to make a decision. He's got a choice to make. So Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus comes to reveal the heart of heaven. He comes to reveal Abba's heart. He comes to show people who God is. He comes to teach people how they can have an intimate relationship with the Lord, with the Father. And Jesus knows, Jesus knows that he's got three years of public ministry. Once he's baptized by John in the Jordan, he comes up out of the water. The Spirit descends on him like a dove. Jesus knows he's got three years of public ministry. And when we pick up the story, he's already one year in. So now Jesus has two more years of earthly ministry left. And he knows that one of his priorities is he now must entrust this new covenant this new wine, this new truth to a select few who will then pass it on to future generations. I would say that was a pretty crucial decision. I, I, I would say uh, this decision is about to have impact. You got two years left 
earthly speaking. Now, Jesus is alive. Praise God, the tomb is rolled away. He's, he's alive. But earthly speaking, he's got two years left. And, and, and this decision is going to impact the trajectory of future generations. Now, looking back, we left last week with Jesus uh, walking through the grain fields with his disciples, his disciples picking grain, rubbing it, eating, Jesus declaring, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. We, we leave Jesus in the synagogue where a withered hand man is there. The Pharisees are all up in arms and, and Jesus heals the guy on the Sabbath and they're like, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So the people are filled with rage. You've got the elite religious group coming after Jesus and Jesus slips away. He doesn't engage in the nonsense and the arguments. He slips away. And what we concluded, even as we pondered the first part of Luke chapter 6, is that religion at the core will always seek to eliminate Jesus. Religion is a return to bondage. Religion is a man-made system that eliminates Jesus. And some of us in this room grew up in religious systems. We grew up experiencing guilt and shame and condemnation. And if the truth be told of your narrative, you would say, I never felt like I totally measured up. Right? We were talking last week, Miranda. We were talking, Teresa and I, Emily and I have been talking. And, and the story for so many people is I was guilted, I was shamed, I, I, I was put down. I never felt like I could measure up. And so many people that grow up in church never grow up in Christ and they grow up with religion and they don't grow up with relationship. And the quote I used last week was, rules without relationship will always promote rebellion. Verse 12, Jesus slips away. It was at this time Pharisees coming at me, rage, anger, hostility. It was at this time that Jesus went off to the mountain to pray. He spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to himself and he chose 12 of them whom he also named apostles. And here are the 12, Simon, a.k.a. Peter, his brother Andrew, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon who was called the Zealot, Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who would become the traitor. As Jesus prepares for this most crucial decision, he prays all night. He prays all night. John Bunyan, that great writer of Pilgrim's Progress said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. 
which implies when you've been with God and you've hung with the Father and you've pressed in and he's spoken to you and you've heard from him and your resolve is to obey, you will do more than you've ever dreamed you could do if you're fueled by the Father, by his assignment. When you study the rhythms of Master Jesus, he makes prayer his number one priority. And when you study his rhythms, Rick, he's always, he's always getting away in silence, in solitude. He's pressing in with the Father. He's communing with the, the Father. It was his priority, Michael. Prayer was more important to Jesus than food, than rest, than comfort, than ease. Even the gospel writer would say, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus was constantly pressing in and hanging with the Father. So the question that we can ask is, am I facing a critical, crucial decision right now? Am I facing a crossroads or am I at this fork in the road and now I must choose and decide? If you are, I would say, pray, press in, commune, get along with the Father. Should I think through the decision and spend some time kind of pondering? Yes, but pray. Should I seek biblical truth? Y yes, but pray. Should I seek godly counsel from others? Yeah, yes, but pray. If we learn anything from the life of Jesus, here's the, the rhythm. Jesus would withdraw. He would pray. Then he decides. Then he chooses. This should be the rhythm of our life. I've got to withdraw. It's time to make a critical decision. So what do we learn from you, Master Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our authority? What we learn is that you must unplug from the world system. You must unplug from the chaos, from the noise, from other people's voices. You must unplug from everything that the world says you need to plug into, if you're really going to have a breakthrough, you've got to withdraw. And as Jesus would withdraw, we can learn that he consecrated his heart to heaven. What is prayer? Prayer is consecration of my heart to the Father that involves both conversation and contemplation. When you're praying, oftentimes we're taught that prayer is you talking to God. That is a very small piece of it. In true, authentic, intimate prayer, there's more listening than talking. There's more contemplation of hearing Abba's heart than there is conversation that you're firing his way. What do we learn from Jesus? You, you've got to withdraw. You, you've got to get away. So, so was this something you practiced, Jesus? 
Yeah, before I started public ministry, I spent 40 days of fasting and prayer in the wilderness, yes. Before I choose the 12, I spend a night in prayer, yes. Before I face the cross and walk the Via Della Rosa, I spend the entire night in prayer. What do we learn, Jesus? We learn from you. We learn from you, Lord, that we have to withdraw. Doug, we've got to. We've got to press in and commune with the Father. We've got to lean in. And we've got to get with the Lord. I meet Steve Trailer. Steve reaches out to me. Steve and I had known each other for a long time. But he goes, man, we're praying for a, a pastor at this church. I've been involved in sports ministry, et cetera, for 20-plus years. Uh, uh, Barb and I come over. We meet with some of the team of leadership at that time. And they're like, we would love for you to be our pastor. John Mark, the only way I could work through this is I, I've got to get away. I, I'm not going to call all these people that even though they're godly people and mentors, I've got to get away. So I fasted and prayed for a week. Take a gallon jug, throw some fresh lemons in it, throw a little maple syrup or whatever, a little cayenne. I said, Barb, I've got to fast and pray through this and spent the entire week. And she goes, I knew that it was a spiritual decision because you were not even hangry during that time. <laughs> no, this decision that I possibly may make is not going to only impact me, but it's going to impact my wife and it's going to impact my kids and it's going to impact an entire community of people. Lord, I've got to get with you. Why would you do that, Tim? Because I had studied the life of my master and Savior Jesus, and if he was God in flesh, 100% God and 100% man, and if he was perfect and he would do such a discipline, what does that say to me? If Jesus, who was perfect, would get along with the Father and press in and commune with the Father and lean into the Father, and want to hear Abba's heartbeat, what does that say about your need today? What does that say about your need? You need wisdom, you need guidance, you need direction that only the Father can give? Then you've got to get with the Father. If you want worldly wisdom, grab a podcast. If you want to know what the New Age thinkers are saying about it, then read a book. But if you want to know heaven's heart and really hear from Abba, you're going to have to get away. You're going to have to withdraw. You're going to have to lean in. Now, now follow this. Jesus withdrew. Then Jesus decided. And then Jesus chose. The key word in making decisions is you've got to own your choice. What do you think I should do? I think you should get with the Father. I think you should press into prayer. And I think whatever you do, you better own your choice. Because if you make a choice that's inconsistent with your heart and attempt to blame somebody else for what you chose, you're going to live the life of a victim forever. We are not who we are and what we are today 
by accident. I just accidentally got here. No. We are who we are and what we are by the choices that we make. The decisions that we make end up making us. The choices that you make and some have irreversible consequences to them, the choice you make is going to end up making you. What have you seen to be true even in your own life? Well, I've seen this to be true in my own life, that sometimes when you press in and lean in and you feel like Abba has spoken to you, the Father and you make a decision and you choose, sometimes it is going to be popular and sometimes people applaud it. But most often when you lean in with the Father and you press in with the Father and you seek a breakthrough with God, you're going to make a choice and a decision that oftentimes will be met with great opposition and criticism. Joshua said, you're going to have to choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Life is so hard, Tim. Life's hard. We live in a fallen, broke world. Pharisees are all around us in the religious crowd, church folk, and there's all this power and control struggle that you will encounter even amongst church folk. Are you willing to get with the Father? Are you willing to lean into the Lord? Are you willing to withdraw? Are you willing to pray? Are you willing to hear? Lord, what do you want? When you pick up the text, by now Jesus has many disciples. He's done a lot of cool things, miracles and the feedings and healings and all this stuff has gone down and now he's about to make a choice he's about to ch choose 12 guys to pour the majority of his time and energy and teachings and wisdom into even out of the 12 he'll have three peter james and john sons of thunder but jesus is about to focus on 12 and he calls them apostles. The word apostle means sent ones. It means that you are sent out on a specific mission by God with the authority of God. You guys are going to be now called apostles. I'm about to send you on mission. It's interesting. I'm about to send you out. So you've got to ask the question, why did he choose 12 and why choose these 12? Why did you choose 12? Well, if you go back and study the Old Testament, originally the 12 tribes of Israel were to rule and reign over the nation. I've got the 12 tribes. Do a study on the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus is bringing new wine, and the new wine is going to replace the old. Matthew 19, 28, crazy verse. But it says that the 12 apostles will rule over the 12 tribes. The new Steve is going to rule over the old. The gospel is going to take precedence over the law. 
The new is going to rule and reign. So Jesus says, I'm bringing new wine that needs to be poured into fresh wine skin. You can't pour it into the old system and all of that religion and law stuff is not going to contain it. So I'm, I'm bringing something new. What are you, what, what, what's the new thing you're bringing, Jesus? You know what he's bringing new? He's bringing the church. He's bringing the church. The word for church is the word ecclesia. Remember the conversation he has with Peter. Who do people say that I am? Elijah, one of the great prophets, etc. Peter, Peter, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter goes, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is like, you realize flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My father in heaven has revealed that. Peter, upon that statement that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, I will build my, my church. And my church that I build, the gates of hell will not prevail. You, you 12, uh, let me tell you what's this, what it's going to look like. I'm going to use you to help me build my church. Because you confess that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. You're going to be sent on mission to extend my church. Was that assignment only for the initial 12? No. Every person that claims to be a part of the church, that claims to be a member of the body, that confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, he is Yeshua HaMashiach, the anointed one, sent by God. Every person is now to be living an apostolic call on your life to take the gospel to the nations. So he chose 12, he, cho he chose 12. Uh, uh. So who were the 12? They, they, were, they were ordinary dudes. They were ordinary? They were very, very ordinary. Was there anything flashy about these guys? No, they, they were just ordinary dudes. Well, if we did a biographical sketch on these guys, what would we find? Uh, you wouldn't find any scholars. You wouldn't find any well-trained in Scripture. You wouldn't find any gifted orators or speakers or theologians. You wouldn't find any that had outstanding talents and abilities. They, they were just ordinary dudes. Oh, we, we, we even read about them that they made mistakes and they said some stupid things and their faith was weak at times and they got mad and they got scared. And even Jesus would say, you have so little faith. Well, which one of us is going to be the greatest? Because mom put us up to ask this question. And he goes, that's not what this is about. They would argue with each other and debate each other and they were just normal dudes. When I was studying this and pondering it, I'm like, so why did Jesus choose them? Why would he go after those 12? Is it possible that the reason he went after those 12, 
that the who's who in the top five of the Pharisees or the who's who in the top five of the Sadducees, he didn't go after them. Is it possible he went after these 12 because he didn't have to deprogram them and defrag them and they didn't have to unlearn a bunch of their old skin system? Uh, we're going to hang out with them. They're just ordinary. Them dudes right there are the kind of dudes I'm looking for. Those are interesting dudes that you would pick. I came across a letter written to Jesus from the Jordan Consultant Group. Dear Jesus the Nazarene, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men that you have picked for managing positions. I realize you want to put these guys in key positions in your new organization, but it is our opinion that most of your nominees are lacking. They're lacking in background, education, vocational aptitude. They're lacking for the type of enterprise that you're undertaking. Simon Peter, he's emotionally unstable and he has a bad temper. Andrew has no leadership qualities whatsoever. And from all appearance, he seems to be a mama's boy. The two brothers, James and John, they place personal interests above team loyalty. And Thomas, he demonstrates a questioning attitude that's going to kill team morale. Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Business Bureau. James and Thaddeus have radical views regarding religion and politics, and they both registered very high on the manic depressed scale. Now, one of the candidates has great potential. He's very resourceful. He engages with people. He, he's got a great business mind. He's got contacts in high places. He's, he's motivated, ambitious. He's responsible. We, we, we would recommend that Judas Iscariot be your right-hand man. Find Shalom, the Jordan Consultant Group. Do a study on the 12. Regular, ordinary, nothing flashy. Don't miss it. Regular, ordinary. So, where did they go to seminary? Regular, ordinary. Acts 4.13 says, they saw them guys as unlearned and unschooled. Now, exactly who was your prof, prof when you studied hermeneutics, homiletics, apologetics, and eschatology? Regular, ordinary. Here's the key. Here's the key. Here's the key. They said yes to follow Jesus. What qualified them? Come and follow me. They said yes to follow Jesus. The rabbinical system of that day, all of these guys had been overlooked, ignored. You don't have what it takes. When Jesus, he, he, he saw these guys. Cindy, come follow me. Sheila, come follow me. Ray, Ray come follow me. 
Steve, come follow me. Come, come follow me, Linda. Come follow me, John Mark. Come they said yes. They said yes. When you do a biographical sketch on these guys, they may not look like much in the eyes of the world, but they're exactly what God is looking for. Who does God use, Tim? Those who say yes to Jesus. He uses a variety, different shapes, different sizes, different cut, colors. Is there a cookie cutter template that you've got to fit in in order to be used by God? Absolutely not. Some were fishermen, tax collectors. Some were in their late teens. Some were in their 20s. Some were married. Some were single. Some were. That's who he used. That, that's who he used. Some were construction workers. A few were a nurse. Some were teachers. Some were plumbers. Some built cabinets. Some were in education. Some were in AD. One was a superintendent. One was... One was, one was. Don't you ever, don't you ever empower the lie from hell that tells you, Luke, Avery, you're not qualified to be a disciple of Jesus. Yes, you are if you will say yes to Jesus. Yes, you are if you will not withhold anything from the Lord. Emily, you're way too young to go to the mission field. You're way too young. You don't know the culture. You don't know the language. I said yes to the Lord. Actually, you're too young. You're too naive. You, you, you're going to get carved up. I said, I, said, I said yes to the Lord. I said yes. Have you said yes to the Lord? Are you saying right now, yes to the Lord? D don't miss this one right here. Don't you miss this. Oftentimes, according to your marinade, back to that rigid, legalistic, fundamental guilt-shame approach, the method way back was, we got to get them saved. We got to get them shaved, clean them up so they don't look like hell anymore. And we've got to get them out on the streets sharing the gospel. I saw so many authentically, I want to know Jesus. Get rid of the movies, get rid of the music, get rid of the hair, clean up your look. Here's 10 tracks. Go to the Kmart, Walmart, Target parking lot and start handing out tracks. Bless God. That's the way we do it. Really? That's the way we do it. Where did you find that rhythm? Jesus chooses the 12. What did they do? Did they blast the Starbucks in Jerusalem? Y'all listen, guys. We are the apostles sent by God. Turn and burn by God. Is that what they did? So Jesus says, Y'all are going to be my apostles. Yeah. Cool. 
So, so what are we going to do? Y'all come and sit with me. We're going to sit with you. I want y'all just to sit with me. Okay. What, what are we supposed to do? I want you to hang out with me. Come on, guys. Be in this party down the road we've been invited to. Let's go hang out at this party. What, what, what did y'all do when y'all first were selected as his apostles? What, what did you do? We didn't do anything. We hung out with Jesus. We sat at the feet of Jesus. We went to a few parties with Jesus. We watched Jesus interact with people, whores, prostitutes, tax collectors, thugs. We just watched Jesus. Really? That's what you did? Oh, we did. Y'all didn't do, we didn't, we didn't do. Don't miss it. Please don't miss it. When you become a follower of Jesus and a disciple of Jesus, God's will for you. People are always asking, Tim, what is God's will? God's will is for you to sit at the feet of Jesus. To learn from Jesus, to hang out with Jesus, to withdraw and get away and pray with Jesus, to commune with Jesus. Why would you want to do that? Because before you can live like Jesus, you've got to learn from Jesus. Not religion, not church structure. Before you can do his will, you got to know his will. You got to know his heart. Before God will send you out, you got to spend time with Jesus. The buzz of our culture, we see people walk around. We've got your story matters, but the buzz early on was WWJD. What would Jesus do? We see WWJD written on shirts. Like, what would Jesus do? can't do what Jesus did until you become like who Jesus is. Is there any shortcuts? None. How do you become like Jesus? You hang out with Jesus. How do you know Jesus is art? You hang, you hang out with Jesus. You sit. You hang. You study. You ponder Jesus. And Dustin and I have talked about this for so many years. The fallacy of reasoning is people get saved and they have this thought. They do. Man, I'm going to do great things for God. No. God wants to do God things in you and through you for his glory. We oftentimes write this sketch out. We write our diaries in advance. We sit there and contemplate what great things I can do for God. And we haven't hung with the Lord and we haven't been with the Lord and we haven't pressed in to the Lord. And we get into these flesh-driven attempts to try to prove our worth that we're somebody. And it's like, you know, sometimes being in Panama... 
It's like we don't know exactly what to do. Sometimes this work is so new and we're praying, asking the Lord for direction. That, that's, that's right. That's right. We, we don't know what to do. No, sure you don't. Because the Christian life of following Jesus, the majority of the time, is unscripted. It's spontaneous. It's like, how do you deal with this situation? Right, Michael? I never dealt with anything like this before. Three weeks ago, there was a guy sitting on the front row here on a Sunday morning. Three weeks ago, he shows up to recovery on a Monday night. And he battled demons and he battled addiction. And not only did he get local news, he got state news, he got national news that our, our, our friend... Deep down inside, man, he's trying to figure it out. What does it mean to walk with Jesus? What does it mean to honor Jesus? And the enemy got a stronghold on his life. And it's been blasted all over the news. He sat there three weeks ago. I looked into his eyes. I didn't know it was the last time I would look into his eyes. Life is filled with choices. Life is filled with decisions. Life is flooded with temptation. Michael goes, what do I do? I'm like, I don't know. We pray. So we got together and pray. We found his body, he's dead. I never dealt with anything like this before. I never dealt with anything like this before. Let's get together and grieve and pray. Let's love each other. But you're the pastor, you got all the answers. I ain't got a clue. I don't know, man. Let's just pray. They sit with Jesus, they learn from Jesus, they listen to Jesus, they hang out with Jesus. And as a result, Jesus connects them to heaven's heart, Abba's heart, the heart of the Father. So they start getting to know what the heart of God is. They hang with Jesus, they sit with Jesus, Jesus models this kingdom perspective. He sits around, he's sharing all these hard truths. He makes statements like, uh, you, you've heard it said... But I say to you, the old law and religious system said, but I say to you, they're just doing life with Jesus and they're getting connected with the Father and they're hanging out with the Father and they start doing life with each other and they learn how to do community together. And even though they're still arguing and debating, they, they, they're starting to figure out this is how you do community And in the process, Jesus is equipping these guys to send them out into the world to represent him, and he's about to release them, and and, and sounds a lot like our mission and vision here at the cross. 
Where'd you get the mission and vision for the cross from, Tim? I got it from Jesus. I, that's the only one I know to follow. He's the greatest leader of all time, the greatest example. So when we say we're trying to connect your story to Christ and others, I get it from Jesus. When I say that he, he was about reaching people and the teaching and the training and the sending, and we get that from Jesus. We felt like if we said we were going to follow Jesus, we might as well just go ahead and follow Jesus. I'm either going to follow Jesus or I'm going to follow somebody. I, I, I know the Southern Baptist said this and the Methodist Convention said this and the, I, I, I just thought I'd follow Jesus. He seemed to have it figured out better than anybody else. So what, 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 what did Jesus like? These people love Jesus. They love to listen to Jesus teach. He was speaking with this new yoke of a rabbi that they had never heard before. Why didn't he just go out and speak to the masses? I mean, there was 5,000 plus over here. And I mean, it probably would have been a better, probably would have been a better bang for the buck to speak to thousands at a time, don't you think? And Jesus said, no. Because when you invest in a small number and those go out and invest in a small number and they go out and invest in a small number and you keep multiplication, that, that's where it's at. You can impress at a distance, but you're going to impact up close. Don't miss it. You impress at a distance, but you impact up close. I'm going to pour my time and energy into 12 ordinary guys that are raw, that are rough, and we're going to create and foster this organic community, and we're going to learn what Abba's heartbeat is, and we're going to learn to connect with each other and struggle with each other and pull for each other. Uh, that's what we're going to do. It's a pretty good model. Every multi-level company in the world borrowed Jesus' model of pouring into 12 and investing in really specifically three, and that's how all that stuff happened. Where'd you get your model from? Amway? Nah, the way. Come on, let's lean in and pray. Let's lean in and commune with the Father. Let's let the Holy Spirit really have freedom in our lives right now.